Hi, this is Tia Sirkar. I play Sabine Wren on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to Twin Suns Transmission. Of course, it ends where it becomes a desert planet with twin suns. Hey, my name is Taylor Gray, and I play Ezra Bridger in Star Wars Rebels. I hope you enjoy this week's episode of Twin Suns Transmission. Here's where the fun begins. Let's make this a bit more interesting. You've taken your first step into a larger world. Stop this fight! Nothing will stand in our way. May the Force be with us. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the TSO Book Club podcast here with Twin Suns Outpost. I'm Eric, and I'm joined today by Christian. Christian, uh, before we get started on this, I just want to congratulate you on your engagement. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. It, it was a really, really exciting experience to have, and it was cool to kind of share it with everyone, too. Yeah, definitely. I saw that online. I was super happy for you. So we are going to be talking and beginning our series on the High Republic content that's going to be coming out uh, over the next couple of months and I'm sure uh, stretching into the years to come. And normally we have Jesse and we have Amanda on with us as well, uh, but today it's just going to be Christian and I talking all about Light of the Jedi by Charles Soule. Now this was the first one that came out of the adult novels. We did get A Test of Courage by Justina Ireland, which is going to be our next book for the TSO Book Club for the month of February. So we'd definitely love to have you guys join us for that. And then Into the Dark or Into Yeah, Into the Dark by Claudia Gray. That will be our book for March. So we've already got our next couple of months lined up, but Christian, let's go ahead and start talking about Light of the Jedi. Um, Mm -hmm. And this was sort of our first exposure to the High Republic era. So what were your expectations kind of just with the era as a whole? Um, Just really seeing how the Jedi operated um, and how they might be different. And we definitely got that. I mean, (laughs) comparing the Jedi from the High Republic era to what we see in the prequel trilogy, they're really different. They're very efficient in the High Republic. It really <laughs> kind of makes the Jedi um, in the prequel trilogy look bad, which is kind of hard to say because you know, I love them all. But um, that's kind of what I was expecting. And Soul, Charles Soul, really, really brought that. Um, lots of new characters. Um, obviously, the the new villain and the Neil. Really liked them, wasn't expecting to like them as much as I did, but they were a very pleasant surprise as a really interesting villain. Yeah, definitely. And I think for me, this was the first book I've read from Charles Soule. I know he mm-hmm. had done comics and stuff before, but I really enjoyed his writing style. And, and to me, it, it kind of shocked me a little bit the way that he wrote because it was almost like when people died it was like no big deal you know it was like and then the ship blew up and everyone died and that happened multiple (laughs) times i was like wow people are just dying dropping like flies Uh, but i really did like the way that he described things and kind of brought these new jedi sort of to light let's talk about the jedi i guess since we're we're kind of on that but do you have a favorite of the new jedi characters um 
I guess there's a couple. I really liked um, Avara Chris. She's definitely, I mean, I think a lot of people really liked her. Um, just the way she connects people through the force, all that that was really interesting. Loden Greatstorm is definitely one of my favorites. I mean, he has a great name. So if your right. name's Skywalker, <laughs> if your name's Greatstorm, you're going to yeah. be a pretty good Jedi. Right. Um, I'm kind of spacing on his name, but the older Jedi that makes the stew <laughs> has yeah. a big old beard. Porter he Engel. Interesting. He seemed kind of like a almost like a Yoda-ish type character who um, is kind of old, seemingly like a like retired Jedi, stays out of the action. But when he gets into it, he can still um, fight with the best of them. So I thought he was a really cool Jedi as well. There were just so many, it's hard to pick just one. Yeah, I really did like Porter Angle as well, the former Blade of Bardota. Um, and it seemed like he had... A, it was almost like, not really a trance, but almost like he just got like kicked back into the moment mm-hmm. of getting back into, you know, fighting and, and all that. Um, being sort of the older Jedi that he is, it's probably, uh, it was really cool to read about that. I thought that was awesome. Yeah, it really reminded me of Yoda and Attack of the Clones walking up to um, Count Dooku in that fight with his cane, just kind of struggling and then just throws it aside and jumping around at light speed <laughs> oh, yeah. and really just completely transformed into a younger being. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked watching that. And I, I think for me, I, I did really like Loden great storm. Um, Avar Chris, I, I loved her mm-hmm. and I think it was really cool to get a, a, a Wookiee Jedi and just to kind of mm-hmm. understand what his abilities are, you know, just with the sensing emotions, that's kind of like his strength. Um, but I thought it was funny that the chapter that he was in, uh, they put a Wookiee in a social gathering where, of course, <laughs> no one can understand him, really. <laughs> and I thought, like, yeah, you know, if I was a Wookiee being at these parties and stuff and no one would be able to understand anything I was saying, of course I'm not going to want to be there. You know, no one's not, no one's going to be able to understand you. Um, but I do like the fact that they brought a Wookiee, um, mm-hmm. as rare as those, as those are, even, even the Trandoshans, I talked about, you know, that species, basically you don't have any Jedi besides Skier, um, but the Trandoshans. So I thought it was cool to kind of bring in some of those really unique species and make them Jedi. Yeah. And that social aspect was really interesting because it ha- kind of highlighted the, sort of obvious thing about Wookiees is they're highly intelligent creatures who can't really communicate in basic. I mean, it's like in the original trilogy, um, Chewbacca is treated like a, a pet, <laughs> basically. Uh, right. He's working like the dog that's, that's hanging out with them, but he's highly intelligent. Um, so it really was interesting seeing him in that setting, having these thoughts about kind of the social setting and he can't communicate um I, I just thought that was really cool perspective to have and that's kind of what we're all thinking of like well like what, what what's their side of it you know and it's cool to see it yeah definitely what did you think of the technology that the jedi had with these vectors and different mm-hmm. ships that you know the lightsabers kind of acted like a key to kind of power them and fire the weapons and stuff what do you think about that whole aspect of the book that was really cool, and it really made their ships unique um, 
from any other ship. And it really got me thinking is why, why did that go away? Right. Uh, I mean, it really even made like their own ships personalized to them and their own lightsaber. It was just such a, like a more personal connection to your ship. And that seems just super Jedi. And I don't know why a lot of this, like why, why that went away in the prequel era. I mean, you still have Yoda around, so you still have that connection, but that's kind of what I was thinking about is it seems something that you'd see in the future, not in the past. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about that too. Like what what happened with that and and mm-hmm. uh hopefully at some point we'll get, you know, down the road as we get closer to episode one, maybe we'll get more of an explanation as to, you know, maybe all that technology was lost or I I don't know. But I was thinking about Yoda, and we didn't get a whole lot of him in this book. He kind of showed up at the end uh, for the dedication ceremony with his sort of little group of Padawans. But he was on a sabbatical for council business, so he was kind of not really a part of this at all. Um, And I know, I think his story is in a comic uh, as far as what he's doing during this era. But I did read that, I don't know how to say the first name specifically, Yarel Poof or Yariel Poof, um, as well as Opo Rancisis, which are two Jedi that were mentioned in this book as being on the council. Uh, we get to see them in episode one too. So Yoda is not the only Jedi from this era that is still on the council when we get to episode one. So there are a couple other ones that are still on the council even after couple hundred years which i think is really cool yeah that is really interesting and doesn't really put all the blame on yoda for how the the jedi fell from i mean their peak power to what we've seen the prequel trilogy but that's really interesting that it wasn't just him it was more more than just him that was around then yeah that's a good point what did you think about bell zedifar uh bell zedifar was a padawan is that right yeah um Man, pretty intense um, seeing him trained um, by Loden Greatstorm. He was really putting him through it, pushing him off the cliff, telling him to jump out of the yeah. um, the ship to save, um, what was it, the girl? Yep. Yep. And that, that's pretty intense. And to see him kind of rise to the occasion in the moment was pretty spectacular. Um, it was just really cool how this book showed you so many different perspectives and seeing the Padawan perspective of someone kind of trying to live up to their master, um, who's having kind of some insecurities and some anxieties about it really humanizes the Jedi, um, beyond just these like deities, these like quote unquote, like superheroes really showing that they are human, definitely in this learning process too. So I really liked his character a lot. Yeah, I thought it was cool to see him grow. You know, we see him fail Mm -hmm. a few times with falling um, and having to be rescued or caught by other characters. Um, But in that moment of desperation, he really comes into his own and is able to save the little girl B as well as himself and and Mm -hmm. succeed at overcoming his fears and, and kind of, you know, achieving what he hasn't hadn't been able to achieve up until that point of the book. And um, I think at the end, we know where Loden is. He's not around, but we have Bell that is 
uh, you know, supposed to become a Jedi Knight, mm -hmm. and he refuses to take on that mantle until his master was there to kind of take him through the ceremony, which I thought was kind of mature on his part um, to refuse, you know, being a master until his master uh, mm -hmm. could be a part of that. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, so one thing that I thought was kind of similar was the Jedi still kind of... Um, uh, go against attachments and those kind of relationships, but they still happen. And that happened between um, Bell and his master where he was really worried, had all this respect for his master that he um, really wanted him there. He was really like a father figure to Bell. And I feel like that's the kind of relationship, that attachment that the Jedi frown upon. Um, but it still happens. You saw the same thing with Avar, and I might might get the name wrong. Was it what? What was the name of the um, oh. other Jedi Master? Elzar Man. Elzar. I was thinking Ezra. But I'm like, there's no yeah. Ezra. Elzar. But they had the same thing. They had this sort of relationship, and they didn't really talk about it. But I mean, they said it was kind of unspoken. There was something there between them that was more than just Jedi co-workers or, or companions but it's like you can say no attachments but it's a human kind of need and truth to form those attachments and we really saw this play out even in the high republic era yeah yeah i was wondering about that too especially with elzar and uh avar i was like oh man this I'm wondering if they're mm. they're gonna do something. I almost thought like we were gonna see something in the epilogue between the two of them walking mm -hmm. together, uh, you know, something romantic that might have to be a secret or, or something throughout the next uh, books. But I guess not. But let's talk a little bit about the story itself and what's going on during the era. So obviously we get the Nile in this book as the villains. Oh, it's Nile, not Neil. I've been thinking Neil in my head this whole time. Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's Nile. Mm -hmm. um, and so they're, they didn't show up until 115 pages in the hardcover book. I don't know. Did you read yours on the Kindle? I did read mine on the Kindle. It has like the, the page number thing there, but I don't really pay attention to it too much. Yeah. So it was 115 pages into the book before we got them. And they are ruthless. I mean, they kicked that little kid out of the ship. They murder people. They literally are these marauders that take what they want and destroy what they don't. And it's sort of this giant group of, of people. And originally I thought when we first heard about the Nile, when Lucasfilm did their uh, publishing sort of reveal of Project Luminous and told us about what this was and, and who the bad guys were going to be and stuff. I thought the Nile were going to be sort of their own species in the Outer Rim, but it's just a group composed of a bunch of different species who wear these masks and terrorize the Outer Rim. But what did you think of sort of the Nile way and them as villains? Yeah, I was really intrigued by what these authors are going to come up with for the villain. I know they mentioned that they posed the question is what would scare um, Jedi? And yeah. the obvious answer is Sith, but like what else? And 
at first the Nile weren't really what I expected because they they're really just a gang in the outer rim. They're like a glorified biker gang, basically. But it kind of reminded me of a quote from Lord of the Rings um, when they talk about Mordor and Sauron. They said, what can you do against such reckless hate? And that's what I feel like the Nile is, an emphasis on the reckless. I mean, when they go into battle, they bump music, <laughs> they crank it up loud. Yeah. And they do lots of um, drugs, it seems like. Like, they're just very hateful and they just go for it with reckless abandonment. And I thought that was very cool. Uh, I did not expect to like the Nile as much as I did, but just with how reckless and I mean, what, what they did with the, um, the ships jumping into light speed, it was just the perfect battle between the order of the Jedi against the chaos of the Nile. It was just very cool. Yeah. And when you think about a story, right? If you don't have the Sith and you don't have the dark side force users out there at all right now, and the Jedi are, are sort of in a time of peace, but you have to have a villain for your story, right? Because without drama, it's boring. Mm-hmm. So you come up with this story of these characters that scare the Jedi, but you also have to have them be kind of like a, a competition for the Jedi. You know, if the, mm-hmm. if the Jedi show up and wipe everybody out pretty quickly, you know, again, that's not, it's not much of a story. So you have to make sure that they possess some sort of ability to present a challenge to these Jedi as well. And I think with these paths, you know, the ability to travel basically anywhere in the galaxy without using charted hyperspace lanes, I think definitely gives the Nile an advantage over anyone in the galaxy. Especially being able to do it, not even just over long distances, but very short distances, like in the battle they did, they can just light speed half a kilometer away and be shooting at you from over there and then jump somewhere else very close by. I mean, this is kind of something that I maybe would have assumed any ship could do um, beforehand, but I guess that's, that's not the case. And it was really, it's a really interesting and unique advantage that they have um, that you wouldn't really think about until reading this book that it could be such an advantage. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But it seems as though there there could be a clear way, if the Jedi figure it out, to stop them, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that the Eye of the Nile, I could butcher his first name, Marchian? Marchian? Um, that's how I said it. I was thinking Martian. Martian? I guess it could go either way. Yeah. Well, he uses Mari Santeca, who's over 100 years old, uh, to essentially get these paths, and uh, he then stores them into his ship's database to use them when he needs them. But when she dies, they'll no longer be able to get new paths. So, and no one else knows about this. The Tempest Runners don't know about this. Only the Eye of the Nile. So, what do you, where do you think this is going to go? I mean, she's not doing so well. 
<laughs> she's not doing so well, but she probably hasn't been for a very long time. So who knows how long she can hold out. But I think that's why he got a Jedi. That's why he got Loden Greatstorm. I think he's going to try to mentally and physically break him to a point. Because he's Force-sensitive, obviously. Can he get new paths? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how, how that works. But I think maybe that's kind of where he's going. Because he's seeing his end is in sight. And he's certainly... Even if he does everything he needs to do, he can't pass down um, the eye or the pass if if she's dead. So I think he's trying to figure out a way, how can I prolong this and get someone else to do it? And I think that's why he was after a Jedi. Yeah. Well, he's definitely ruthless. Just kills people for the fun of it. You know, o Odo Blythe, he just sliced him in half while he was unconscious, kind of sitting there. You know, which is very ruthless. And he basically sent his own people to die, which is pretty, pretty ruthless. And I guess we could talk about this now. It happens at the end of the book, but let's talk about it now. So we see him kind of swinging around Loden's lightsaber at the end here. And we see him with this like purple, purple glow stick. It's like a rod. Um, at the end of it, which seems to, he doesn't seem to be afraid of the Jedi as long as he has that. So I'm wondering what that is. I don't know if you have any ideas on what that could be, but it definitely seems like this is something that Elzar in the epilogue, um, uh, because it's, it talks about him having like a purple hue or something. So it definitely seems like this is something that could in fact scare the Jedi. Yeah. I don't know what it could be i mean i guess we can really speculate um if he really is that confident that it protects him against jedi maybe it can inhibit force abilities um maybe it's like an interference in the force so they can't communicate with it can't can't use it and it basically takes away their greatest weapon then they still have a lightsaber. Yeah, I'm not fully sure what this one thing could be that makes him safe from Jedi. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I looked at it, and the way that they described it was that it had, I think, markings on it, and then it was, it it looked like it was melted and then brought back mm -hmm. together, sort of reforged. And when they were originally talking about it, now they said it was, what, three hand lengths? So it's it's a little bit longer than what I would assume yep. a lightsaber would be. Um, but they refer to it as a rod. So I don't know. I don't know if if you push a button and then something happens to it or, or what it is. But uh, I think it might be, yeah, some sort of maybe force-infused weapon that, that thwarts Jedi, but it seems also like if a lot of Jedi are fleeing all at once, that maybe it has some sort of like overall effect on multiple Jedi, not sort of just like a, a weapon to be used against one of them, you know, but like uh, something that could maybe influence a storm or a galaxy or, or something like that, you know? He's kind of like holding a, a Death Star in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. Power that, 
it maybe it puts out some like frequency into the air that only those who are force sensitive can kind of react to. Maybe it's like um, the prisoners that he had that <laughs> he would torture mm-hmm. um, to basically torture Great Storm, which I found that really cruel yeah. <laughs> and interesting. Um, maybe it's something like that. Maybe it makes them feel fear in some way. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and one thing I'm really excited to see is they've talked about this since day one. This is a mega project that is going to consist of books and comics, but all the authors and the story group and everybody kind of met at Skywalker Ranch for a long time to create sort of this mega story that's going to be completely cohesive and things like that, which I'm very excited about because Mm -hmm. in current Star Wars canon, we don't have a lot of the same series written by multiple authors right so we usually get like you know okay we have the thrawn trilogy but then it's all timothy's on writing it we've got Mm -hmm. the alphabet squadron that's all alexander freed you know we've got uh, a bunch of different things but now we have this high republic that's going to consist of a bunch of different authors that are working together kind of reminds me a little bit of the new jedi order books in the star wars legends Uh, with a bunch of different authors working on the same series. But I feel like this one's going to be a little bit more cohesive because they literally all, I mean, they filmed sort of this meeting and have been doing all sorts of great stuff on um, StarWars.com with the, the High Republic show and kind of showing us as fans how cohesive this this mega story really is going to be so i'm interested to see with the books that we're going to read after this in the high republic how much of what we got from this book will actually translate and carry over into the upcoming books yeah i think it's really refreshing also to have multiple creators plan out one long story and i think that's whatever our opinions are about the sequel trilogy that's one of the main downfalls of it is you have jj abrams making the first movie ryan johnson taking it one direction abrams kind of going back they didn't have a cohesive plan from the beginning um so it's really refreshing to see this across different mediums you got books for different ages um you get different comics it's just such a large um, expansion of the Star Wars universe, and it's all tied together. Yeah, I'm really excited to see what we're gonna, we're going to see next and how it's all going to tie together. Because I'm sure they have a really good plan of how to make one book um, tie another one with maybe different characters, and still see it tie together. And maybe certain characters kind of show up and have. Um, maybe less of a role, but it's still really important because we know who they are. Yeah, I'm really interested to see what they have in store for us. Yeah, definitely. I have to say, too, that I I read because I like Star Wars. I'm not a big reader. Like, I don't just mm-hmm. sit down to read a book for fun. I want to know more about what's going on in the Star Wars universe. And with everything that Lucasfilm has been doing, with including things, I mean, I don't know, did you read the Aftermath series? at all i have not read it yet i really want to read it it's on my list to read i don't know when i'll be able to but i have not read it yet yeah 
Well, they take things, I mean, even Cobb Vanth was originally brought to us in the Aftermath series, and then, of course, they're bringing him into The Mandalorian. So I really like what Lucasfilm is doing, and I get for some people it could be maybe a little annoying um, because you have, I mean, it's, it's really hard to read all the books and watch all the shows, and, you know, it, there's a lot. There's a lot of content out there. But I think it's especially rewarding for the people who have read some of these things to kind of get some of these characters in live action. And there's a TV show called The Acolyte that's going to be coming out mm-hmm. on Disney Plus that is going to be a live action film or a, a show that's going to take place during this High Republic era. So I'm excited to see if anything that we're reading about now is going to come into play as well. Yeah, I really hope that uh, maybe The Acolyte was mentioned to or uh, maybe the authors kind of are somewhat involved in it um i think there's been a pretty large disconnect between the film creators and the creators of the extended universe so i really hope especially because this is pretty unique that the authors are the ones that created this whole time period that they have kind of a say in what happens in that live action, more mainstream TV show. So I really hope that there are lots of tie-ins to the books. So like you said, those of us who are nerds and we take the time to read all this extra stuff um, that really have some more background knowledge and we feel good when things are kind of brought up. And I hope that is the case. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the things that happened in this book. Not necessarily specific characters or villains or anything, but the plot. So we have this this great disaster right at the beginning of the book. The legacy run uh, tries to avoid something in a hyperspace lane, which then causes an explosion. And then all these emergences uh, throughout the Outer Rim, which presents problems with anything that these emergences kind of these anomalies fragments will crash into um it you know created tsunamis on a planet that killed millions of people it had the potential of destroying entire systems and moons and things like that and so with everything going on with the republic i mean these Jedi and the Republic sent out what they could to kind of prevent these anomalies from happening and and save as many people as they could. Obviously, it's a bad time with the Starlight Beacon trying to be sort of dedicated and open and getting that up and running. But the Nile are just creating, wreaking havoc in this part of the galaxy. But we've got the Chancellor, Chancellor Lena So, who I actually, I really liked her design and I really liked what uh, Charles Soule did with her character, with her two giant cats. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought those were pretty cool. Uh, but what did you think about the whole plot and storyline with the Republic and the Nile and the emergences and all that stuff? Yeah, it was really interesting jumping into a book and you get action immediately in your face. And the uh, first couple of chapters aren't even about, or at least the first chapter isn't about you know main characters. It's just about the the disaster and what's going on really made me buy into into it because the disaster was really interesting you got the ship that got basically blown up in hyperspace and its parts are flying everywhere um really really unique problem they that they have to face while they're trying to do this um whole thing with the with the beacon putting it out in the outer rim um 
it, it kind of might shed some light on why the Outer Rim in uh, the Skywalker saga is not really patrolled by the Republic, um, why they're not kind of under the same laws, because a lot of it was going wrong as soon as they were trying to go out there. And the Nile, obviously, are seeing the Starlight Beacon going in the Outer Rim as a threat against them and what they've been doing. So just really unique. And it's really interesting that Marchion, <laughs> I guess Marchion, that he sort of kind of planned this to happen. I don't know how he could have planned it exactly, but he said he sent that path to happen on purpose with the with the legacy run, and uh, maybe he meant for them to collide and this disaster to happen. But yeah, it was very, very unique disaster, and I thought that was a really great way to start the book and kind of set the stage for the Nile and what the Republic's trying to do. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think it's interesting what the Chancellor of the Republic at this time is trying to do, trying to kind of include everybody in her encompassing umbrella of the Republic. And, you know, that's one thing that I think is, I think it's good, knowing the Republic and knowing her. I mean, she's not Palpatine, right? So hopefully what she's doing is actually for the benefit of, of the Republic. But um, do you think that with everything that she's trying to do, with all these great works that she has in mind, and she's very she's very motivating, it seems like, to the members of the Republic, but do you think she's trying to reach too far, and do you think she's overstepping her bounds a little bit by trying to include people in the Republic in the Outer Rim that may not even want to be a part of it? Yeah, it really made me think about the Empire when... She's saying we are all the Republic. I mean, you could say we are all the Empire, right? And immediately attach some negative um, connotations to that. So, yeah, I did think it was a little bold and might be kind of overstepping her bound a little bit because she's basically just putting it out there, forcing it out there um, for all these outer rim territories that, like you said, might not want republic rule um might be forcing some planets to no longer have the same freedoms that they enjoyed before so i think it does have positive in intent and what the chancellor is trying to do but yeah i think it might be overstepping the bounds just a little bit i think those systems should and, and not to say that they are like forcing systems to join the republic but it really should be them wanting to join the Republic, not the other way around. Right. It would kind of be like, you know, me going to my neighbor's house and putting up my little a little station or like a dog house. Like, you know, mm -hmm. this is you're going to throw up all these space stations and things in our territory. Well, we don't want this here. Well, it's for your protection. You know, my dog will protect your your house I, I don't know i don't know about that i don't it seems like she's imposing a little bit and uh i'm not sure how i feel about that i do like the idea of the starlight beacon though i think it's a really interesting kind of take on on you know the republic and what she wants to do it's sort of like its own mini planet it seems like it's a mm -hmm. hospital it's got the jedi temple on there they have so many different things it's going to be sort of a communications point a communication point to to send out comms and stuff like that so i really do like that idea 
Um, I think it'll be interesting too with uh, Master Chris kind of running that now um, to see where where that goes. But I, I hope we get more on the Starlight Beacon coming up. And I have a feeling that that might be target number one for the Nile. So I, I have a question about the Outer Rim. I might not just know this, but is the Outer Rim specifically in one direction from the Republic or does it surround the kind of core worlds? I think the Outer Rim, it, it doesn't like surround the core worlds. I think it's more, I think it's more in one direction, mm -hmm. but I could be wrong. And I kind of want to look up a map right now, but that's what my gut's telling me. Let's see. Because to me, Outer Rim, if you're thinking about a galaxy, it would be kind of surrounding, like the outer rim of the core would be fully around it. Right. Uh, but maybe this aren't inhabited planets um, in this sort of like imaginary Outer Rim circle. But I was thinking that when they set, sent it out there, I'm like, wouldn't they have to send out multiple to different areas? Or is one really enough to cover the Outer Rim? But yeah, maybe with the map, we get a better answer. It looks like, and I could just be interpreting this wrong, but it looks like the outer rim is sort of like the upper right-hand part of the mm. system or the galaxy, and then the bottom is wild space and unknown regions. Um, and then there's sort of like bright light in the center, which is the core colonies in the inner rim. But it does, yeah, because then there's the inner rim, expansion region, mid-rim, hut space, and then the outer rim is sort of like the outer edge. But I don't know if the outer rim goes along the entire thing or if it's just the text, the outer rim, is in the upper right-hand corner. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe someone who, who knows can uh, educate us on that because I thought that was interesting. I was trying to picture what was going on in my mind. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I'm excited to see more of the Starlight Beacon because I think I think it's an interesting concept, and I, you know, I like I like that we're getting more on the Jedi and how how uh, you know widespread they are, because they're even talking about on Elf. What is that planet called? Um, Elfrona or something? Elfrona. Um, mm -hmm. That there was a out a Jedi outpost there, and that's sort of like part of you know what Jedi do as Padawans. They get outposted. Um, to these outposts to continue training. Now we've got some on these space stations. We've got the big one on Coruscant. We see in the Clone Wars that there's kind of like Jedi temples in multiple places throughout the galaxy. So I think it's cool that they're kind of showing us, you know, how widespread the Jedi actually, their presence were. Yeah, that was really interesting to, to see everything that they were doing. Like I said, the Padawans get kind of posted there to train and, and help out these worlds that need it, it seemed like a really good thing that the Jedi were doing and maybe they got away from doing um, in the prequel trilogy. So where do we go from here, Christian? We have the Nile, who seem to have been going through a change, right? They've kind of gotten rid mm -hmm. of their, their hierarchy system. They're just all the Nile. They have one less Tempest runner. Kasav is now dead. Uh, so we just got two under the eye of the Nile, who seems like he finally has that fire back to continue the work that he was meant to do, it seems like. And in time, they're going to be recruiting and kind of taking the fight to the Republic. They said that they're not just going to stay in the Outer Rim anymore. They're going to go galaxy-wide mm -hmm. with, their, with their raiding. 
um, which obviously is going to present a problem for multiple worlds in this. Um, and it seems like the Jedi are going to be focusing on their stations. They're not sure if the Nile are completely wiped out. There's sort of uh, some people that think they are, some people that, that aren't sure. So where do you think we go from here, and what are you expecting in some of the next stories? Yeah, I'm not fully sure what Marchion's, like higher purpose is that he's trying to accomplish. Is it to rule the galaxy? Is it just to overthrow the government, everyone live in freedom? I'm not fully sure what he's going after, but obviously it involves kind of the core worlds and the Republic because that's what this next kind of move is, is expanding out there. I'm not sure what their plan is because they don't seem like that much of a threat at the moment. Um, I guess it depends on how they use the paths, but Kasav, he got beat. He got beat pretty bad. And Mm -hmm. what's left, I don't know what kind of threat they pose. I think they're going to have some very um, strategic attacks. Maybe it's assassinating the Chancellor. Um, I mean, they said that they have paths that they could put a ship just, what do they say, right above... Like your um, palace or something, yeah. Yeah. So they can go anywhere, do damage, and leave and get out in what you think is just a matter of minutes. So I I think they're going to have some really strategic attacks that's really going to put a lot of fear in the Republic because they won't know if they're next or not. I think that's kind of where they go is they can't really afford to have an all-out war, all of your guys against all of my guys type things. They're not going to win that. Um, But I think using the pass to really do some some damage with some quick attacks is what they're going to do. And I think it's going to put a lot of fear in the Jedi because this is going to be very hard for them to defend against that. Yeah, I agree. And I I think what we see in the next book now, I don't know if a test of courage, because that's sort of, you know, one of the younger Mm -hmm. YA novels, if that one will expand too much on, on what happened here. But I think probably into the dark might give us a little bit more, on what happened here, or maybe that's about totally different characters. I don't, I don't know. I haven't done my research on that, but it seems like if the next book picks up exactly where this one left off, or or relatively the same time period, then um, I have a feeling it'll be very similar to what we got in this book, where maybe we don't get the Nile for the first part of the book. They're kind of recruiting people, and they don't really do too much. Maybe I think there's going to be some some. Um, some discourse between members of the Nile uh, with Lorna D and and the other guy. What's his name? Pen Panetta or something? Oh yeah, Pan Panetta. Yeah, um, that guy didn't really seem to do much, but I have a yeah. feeling we're gonna get more of Lorna D in in the upcoming stories. She seems cool. I like. She does seem really cool. Yeah, I like uh, I like her stealthy tactics and and things like that. But I think maybe they're, the Nile are going to be laying low for a little bit, trying to gather some forces before they make their move on other parts of the galaxy. And in the meantime, I think the Jedi and the Republic are going to be like, well, they haven't done anything in a while, so I guess we beat them. I guess they're dead. 
And then all of a sudden we're going to get another, you know, the hammer's going to come down and, and the Nile are going to be uh, stronger than we've seen them before. But I don't know. We'll see what happens. Yeah, it did seem, it seemed really strange to me that they thought when they knocked out Kasav's fleet, like, that's it, the Nile are gone. There's yeah. no real <laughs> evidence that that was their entire fleet. I thought that was pretty strange. And then uh, I forget who it was. Someone spoke up and I was like, well, we don't really know if that was all of them. Uh, it's like, of course, like, <laughs> yeah. they really think that they just have one fight and that's everyone just happens to be there. Yeah. Uh, but I, th- I think you're right. They're going to lay low. They're going to recruit, build up their numbers. The guards are kind of going to come down from the Republic. They're going to have what they think a very successful um, launch of the Light Star Beacon. They're going to have a time of peace and another tragedy is going to strike. Yep, always with the tragedies in Star Wars. Gotta have it. If you didn't yep. have tragedy, you wouldn't have a story. <laughs> exactly. All right, Christian, uh, before we go on, I know we have at least uh, maybe one or two of our book club members that have given us responses. Uh, so before we do that, I kind of want to get your final thoughts on Light of the Jedi. Yeah, I really liked it. I mean, I think I already liked it before I even started reading it. Um, just all the hype built around the High Republic era. And uh, I thought it was a really good book. And while I loved all the new Jedi, um, kind of the new Force abilities that we're looking at, just this whole new time period, it was a really high-quality book. Um, you mentioned it as well. You've never read any Charles Soule's books. I haven't either. I've just read his comics. And his writing style is great. It was really easy to read. Um, he had put a lot of depth into not very many words, so it made it very easy to read. Um, and the plot was great. sucked you in right away. Um, there wasn't really any slow development. The Nile were a fascinating villain. I loved seeing their side of it as well. And it felt like a really great standalone book, um, that, that especially with the epilogue, kind of leads into what's going to happen next. So I absolutely loved Light of the Jedi and just looking at Twitter, it seems fair that everyone else does too. Yeah, I really enjoyed watching what Avar, Chris and the Jedi as a whole were able to do together and the different force powers and things like that. Um, I remember reading about her kind of connecting to everybody when they were trying to move that Mm -hmm. big that big anomaly with the liquid Tabana in it that was going to hit the star or whatever. And they kind of were, you know, working together as, as a unit and even Yoda on Coruscant could feel that connection. And some of the Jedi were putting so much into it that they actually didn't even survive. The Jedi died trying to save, you know, Mm -hmm. people of this system and just, Reading, I remember reading about her lightsaber igniting and just spinning around her while she was levitated and stuff. I was like, this is such a cool scene. I thought that was so awesome how they did that. And then watching her with Elzar make it rain, pushing up the the warm air to, to make the clouds and then causing rain to come down and cool everything off. Like I thought that concept was so cool. And I'm really excited to see what else we get from the Jedi in this era. Um, yeah. Really, really cool. It was it was really fascinating. I'd forgotten about that. The Jedi using their force powers so powerfully that they <laughs> they didn't make it. 
And it seemed to be kind of like a common theme that Soul was putting into the book that Jedi are doing this to save others. They don't really care about their their own life. I mean, they want to live, but that selflessness was really on display. Um, I, some other Jedi said it might have been loading Great Storm or, or was thinking it like, this might be my time. If the Force wills it, yeah. that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, that was their their mindset. And I think that's something that he really tried to establish in public is they're completely selfless. They're guardians of the <laughs> guardians of the galaxy. Didn't mean to <laughs> do a Marvel reference there, yeah. but that's what they are. Yeah. Um, they're peacekeepers and they put others' lives before their own. And they don't even have really attachments to their own life if it means that someone else has to suffer. That was really cool. Yeah, definitely. And I'm a I'm a huge fan of when when Star Wars brings in different creatures and and new creatures to the universe. And one uh, creature that I really thought was cool was the Charhound Ember. And watching Ember kind of come to the rescue and shoot fire out of her mouth and stuff like that, I thought that was really awesome. And uh, I thought it was a little strange because it was almost like they they treated her like a dog. And obviously dogs are pets and possessions and stuff, which Jedi aren't supposed to have. But mm-hmm. um, it seemed like Ember was, was kind of the, the, the Jedi pet of that outpost. But I really in, enjoyed that, that creature, and hopefully we get more Ember in the future. Yeah, hopefully so. Having <laughs> dog-like creatures uh, is always nice to have. I mean, we, we form attachments with pets, so it's cool to see Jedi do the same. And, uh, yeah, maybe Ember wasn't supposed to be a pet. Maybe Ember was just there um, maybe to work, to help guard. And then the attachment just happened because it's natural. But that's a good point. Not supposed to have possessions or attachments like that, but sure seemed like it happened. I like that they're trying to show us, too, that this era of Star Wars is still developing. They're talking about the Bacta, how it's being newly developed and it's not, you know, where, where it is when we, when we think of Bacta in, you know, the, the original trilogy movies and things like that. Um, I also liked what they did with the Jedi mind trick and kind of explaining it, uh, that way they, they, I don't think in the book I could be wrong, but to my knowledge, I don't remember reading Jedi mind trick Mm -hmm. specifically said it was, influencing the mind or, or using the yeah, force mind like touch. mind touch yeah so i thought that was kind of interesting as well but yeah trick seems a little devious and dark sidey yeah a mind touch seems softer and it's a gentle uh, manipulation <laughs> yeah all right well i do have something from nicole Nicole said, overall, the book is great. I enjoyed Charles Soule's writing. I liked the early chapters when you were introduced to different Jedi Masters and Padawans and being able to compare and contrast them. So thank you, Nicole, for your response. And uh, I'm very excited because we continue to have uh, participation in our um, discussion questions that we post on Twitter and in Facebook. And uh, if you want, you can continue to participate in those. We have a new set of discussion questions coming this upcoming week. I don't know exactly what day this podcast will be posted, but uh, sometime the first week of February. Um, 
But we do have three more discussion questions on the final block of chapters and the book as a whole, I guess, for Light of the Jedi coming up this week. And then, of course, for February, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we're going to be doing A Test of Courage by Justina Ireland for uh, the short month of February. And then continuing on with the adult novels in March with Into the Dark by Claudia Gray, which I'm very excited about. I love Claudia's books and and looking forward to reading that one. But if you guys want to follow us and participate, you can find us on our book club pages on Facebook, which is just a private group, but uh, you can you can join it. It's a it's a public group, I guess. It's a public group that you can just join. Um, we can post links on our regular TSO pages on that as well. And then on Twitter, it's at TSO Book Club. And again, if you follow us on any of our main Twin Sons pages, you'll be able to see that on there. But Christian, you are our book guy here at Twin Sons Outposts, and you do book reviews. And we've got your Light of the Jedi book review that's going to be coming out soon too. Um, but if people want to see what you're doing and follow you, where can they do that? Yeah, so you can follow me at underscore CC Baseball on Twitter. Um, I do do the book reviews for Twin Sons. I also write a book, Linking Galaxies, that talks about psychology and philosophy of Star Wars. And I occasionally, if I get time, will write about things other than Star Wars like Avatar so definitely follow me there and keep up with what I'm doing. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening to Christian and I talk all about Light of the Jedi, the first book of the High Republic era by Charles Soule. And we're very excited to continue to get into more content in the High Republic era as we continue on through the year 2021. I'm sure there's going to be a bunch of it coming out. So hopefully you guys are interested in joining us on Facebook and Twitter. We've got a lot more coming up, and we'll see you again at the end of February. Thanks a lot, and may the Force be with you. Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Twin Suns Podcast Network. May the Force be with you. Airmaster Tatooine. It's controlled by the hut. Rendezvous point on Halloween. This time you are mother to me, I think.